Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. Some of God's most beautiful miracles and greatest work is especially evident in the aftermath of our darkest and most painful experiences. After the dark days of the crucifixion of Jesus, light breaks forth in His resurrection. After hurt is healing, after brokenness is mending, after death is life. Through this series, we are learning to pay attention to how God is moving and growing our faith in and for the aftermath. Now, I know that God is with us wherever we go, but I just got to be honest, this one's hard. Because what we're doing right now doesn't feel right. Of all the weeks that we've been trying to provide an experience for you so that at home you can have, you can have church. Because the church is not a building. It is not limited to a certain space. It is the people. And wherever you are, God is meeting with you right in this moment. But tonight, this just doesn't feel Like it's the way it's supposed to be. I mean, throughout this whole season, I have really missed hearing the collective voice of our church in this room. But today is the day that is the most significant day in all of human history. And to not have the church gathered in one place with a single voice just in full-on celebration In a season of celebration, it feels like we're in separation. And I'm struggling. Y'all, it's it's not fun to just preach to a camera. And yeah, there's a few people in this room, but I miss our church, and especially in this moment. And as we've been preparing for this experience and thinking about all that God wants to do in it. I just, it's taken a lot for me to figure out what to say to you today. And it's not because there's not enough material because this event really should be the easiest one to preach on. But to not have you in the room to engage with me and to celebrate with us. It's hard. And I gotta, I gotta imagine like you're feeling it too. That it isn't the same. But it's hit me today that the way that we're celebrating Easter this year is as much like the first Easter as anyone that we will ever experience in our lifetime. Because when the sun rose on that original Easter Sunday, the original, the first followers of Jesus were scared, separated, and secluded. On that original Easter Sunday, there there weren't mass gatherings of people. There weren't celebrations all over the place. There wasn't a crowd of Jesus followers assembled at the tomb awaiting his resurrection. No, they were scared, scattered, 
and secluded. They were living in fear of what was going to happen next. See, everything had just unraveled in a matter of days. Just a week before, they had watched Jesus, the one they had put their hope and trust in, ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey triumphantly like a risen king. And now he's dead. And it's been a few days. And it feels like all the hope that had been built up by him and through him died with him. And so when, when the sun rises on that first Easter Sunday, the first followers of Jesus are in the aftermath of one of the most traumatic events of their lives. On that first Easter Sunday, the original followers, the first to put their faith and trust in him, were in the aftermath of the most traumatic event of their lives. They had watched Jesus, the one they loved, the one they trusted, the one they believed in, be beaten and buried just like a common criminal. And we have to be careful judging someone else's actions in the aftermath. (laughs) Because I think we read that story sometimes and we think, why weren't you there? You'd followed Jesus for all this time. And we all know that Jesus had said multiple times that this was going to happen, that he was going to die, and three days later, he would rise again. And sometimes I read the Bible, and, and, and maybe you have too, and you think, why when Sunday came, why weren't they gathered? Why weren't they all, why didn't they fill the garden around that tomb, ready for him to walk out and just erupt with worship? Well, in the aftermath of what feels final, you experience nothing but sorrow. In the aftermath of what feels final, there's a lot of emotion. In the aftermath of what feels final, it's easy to lose focus. In the aftermath of what feels final, it's easier to trust what you see then remember what he said. Because they with their own eyes had watched him be beaten. They had watched him hang on the cross. They had watched his lifeless body be laid in a tomb just like everybody else. And so as the first Easter begins, The disciples are in the immediate of the aftermath. And in the aftermath of what feels final, I can understand their emotions. As Saturday gave way to Sunday and the sun rose, and Jesus, as far as they knew, was gone. I can understand 
why that they had more in mind preparation for his death than celebration of his life. Because in the aftermath of what feels final, emotions take hold. In the aftermath of what feels final, it's easy to be, be driven by all those emotions that are pouring into your spirit, almost uncontrollably so. So in this season right now, be careful not to judge the actions of others in the aftermath because you don't know the pain they're feeling. You don't know the sorrow they're experiencing. And, you know, in the aftermath, I know he's faithful, but I still tend to freak out. Like, even though I know he's faithful in the aftermath, I tend to freak out. And what, last week, we, we recalled, we remembered, we acknowledged that our God is the God of the aftermath that God is most active in the aftermath. But you, if I'm honest, God is most active in the aftermath, but I'm much more reactive in the aftermath. In the aftermath, it's easy to react to what's happening around you. Again, it's so easy to respond and react to what you see instead of live in what he has said. And so as awkward as it seems right now for us to be celebrating Easter like this, maybe this is the exact space we need to be to lean in to the realities that lie in the resurrection. That yeah, you're, we're not in a building all together. We are, we're scared, we're scattered, and we're secluded. But by the time we're done, you're going to be reminded that Jesus can meet you right there. Right where you are. So as day breaks on that first Easter Sunday, Luke begins to tell us what's unfolding as all this happens. Go with me, grab a Bible. Luke chapter 24, pick up with verse 1. Luke 24 verse 1. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. And then... And not until then, they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the disciples. But they did not 
believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. He went in, wondering to himself what had happened. So as dawn breaks on the very first Easter, nobody is standing around in anticipation of celebration. There's just a few women that are going for the purpose of preparation to prepare Jesus' body to lay there for all of eternity. That was tradition. They would use a certain mixture of spices to to embalm the body and prepare it to lay in rest. And the Bible says when when they walked into the tomb, and saw that it was empty, their first response was wonder. Wonder. Like even in the immediate aftermath of discovering the tomb being empty, it didn't resonate with them what was happening. Because in the aftermath of what feels final, sorrow is in control and blinds us from seeing the beauty of all that God is doing. And then it took some angels, some, some people that looked glimmering to the sight that had to wake them up to what was really happening. And these ladies, they run back to the rest of the followers of Jesus to tell them what has happened. And even then, they, it doesn't resonate with them. You would think in that moment the light bulb would have gone off, that they would have remembered the, the numerous times that Jesus had said, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. But the scripture says that everything these ladies are saying just seems like nonsense. And Peter, Peter who was close to Jesus, Peter who was one of Jesus' best friends, Peter who got to experience things with Jesus that many others didn't, of course, he, he had to go see for himself. And he runs to the tomb. And the same word used to describe Peter's emotion is the same word that's used to describe what the first ladies felt. It says, bending over, he looked in, but he went away wondering to himself. That when Peter discovers an empty tomb, he doesn't erupt with worship, but yet he walks away in wonder. Because in the aftermath of what seems impossible, the natural thing to be is skeptical. In the aftermath of what feels final, the natural thing is to experience sorrow. But in the aftermath of what seems impossible, the natural thing is to be skeptical. Like it still doesn't resonate with him that Jesus has risen from the dead. And of course, time goes on throughout that day. And even then, even after these women have seen the empty tomb, even after Peter has laid his own eyes on the tomb, there's still no celebration. There's still no excitement. And maybe because in the aftermath of what seems impossible, we hesitate to have hope. We hesitate to have hope. 
In the aftermath of what seems impossible, the last thing you want to do is have your heart broken again. See, they had just went through a couple days of chaos and struggle and pain. And so once again, don't judge the actions of others in the aftermath. It's easy for us on this side of everything to think, why? Okay, I get it. (laughs) That morning as things happened and unfolded, I can see why maybe they weren't as excited as they should have been. But when Peter saw it, Peter, this leader among the disciples, when he looked in and put his own eyes on the empty linens that belonged to Jesus, But you know, when you've experienced things like that, when you've experienced something traumatic in the aftermath of what seems impossible, it's hard to hope. There's a part of us that even resists the urge to hope. When Jesus died, it crushed them. Remember, everybody that followed Jesus pretty much were on the outskirts of society. They were the outcasts. They didn't have a place to belong until they belonged to Jesus. And so when Jesus died, they didn't just lose their Savior. They lost their identity. They lost their footing in this world. And that's the kind of devastation that some of us have experienced. And the last thing they want to do has allowed their hopes to be built up again, only to be let down. So in the morning, on that first Easter, there's no corporate gathering. There's no mass celebration. There's no worship. Only wonder. See, so many of us, we're used to getting up on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and we wake up on Easter with this sense of excitement, and we can't wait to get to church, and that's why we're struggling today. It took everything you had not to go buy a new Easter dress this year, even though you're at home in your pajamas. Because there's this this tradition, there's something about Easter Sunday, just the build up to it. And then you wake up on Easter Sunday and you're excited to go to church and then go to grandma's house for lunch and do all these kind of things. And this Sunday we wake up without that sense of anticipation, I think. But that's, that's the way the first Easter began. And maybe on this Easter Sunday, you're used to waking up prepared to worship, and you're just waking up filled with wonder. When is all this going to be over? When is our world going to get back to normal? When is somebody that I'm close to going to die from this? And in the day that's most often one filled with worship for all of us, we wake up filled with wonder. And you're like me. You're struggling to get to the place of worship. You've been going along with this experience with us from the start. And as our team has led you, you've just been more filled with wonder than worship. You're wondering how how you're going to pay next month's mortgage because you just got laid off. You're wondering how much homeschool you can continue to do. And you're wondering, what is it going to take to actually put you in a place where you feel like you can worship on this Easter Sunday because you know you need to, you know you want to, you know there's something worthy of worship this day? Well, maybe the same thing that was required 
to take the first followers from wonder to worship is what you need as well. Moving to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to start with verse 19. It says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And that's when everything began to shift. That's when sorrow turned into celebration. See, we didn't go from wonder to worship with an announcement about Jesus, but with the appearance of Jesus. It was one thing to see an empty tomb. When Peter saw an empty tomb, it did nothing. But when he stood in the presence of the risen king, it changed everything. He was not only not in the tomb, he was in the room. And when he showed up, it changed everything. See, wonder moves to worship, not with an announcement about Jesus, but with an appearance of Jesus. When they found themselves not just staring at an empty space, but looking at Jesus' face, is when it all began to shift. When things began to change, And it didn't happen in a corporate gathering. It happened in somebody's house. It happened in somebody's house. He went from the tomb to a room. And when he did, everything changed. And I know what you're thinking, Matt, if I'd have been there to change for me too, and I'm sitting here in my living room and the weight of all that I'm trying to navigate in this space is just too much. Like I need more. You're not the only one. There was one of the disciples. His name was Thomas. And he, he often gets a really bad rap because he just so happened not to be there that first time that Jesus showed up. And he needed to see for himself. Go back into John chapter 24, excuse me, chapter 20, verse 24. It says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't there when the risen Lord walked through the locked door of somebody's house. And the disciples tell Thomas, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas responds, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. And there's some of you that you're experiencing the same thing. Like, like I, I need to see something. 
I know I need something, but I need to see something. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he walks over to Thomas. He singles him out. This time it's not just an appearance, it's a personal encounter. He says, Thomas, here, put put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Like, see for yourself. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. In the aftermath of what feels final, it's easy to be consumed with sorrow. In the aftermath of what seems impossible, it's easy to be skeptical. But in the aftermath of what is undeniable, there's no other response but surrender. There's no other response but surrender. And in that moment, everything changed for Thomas because he was able to see it. He had a personal, real encounter with Jesus and it took him from wonder to worship. It took him from unbelief to belief. And Jesus would say to Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That Thomas, there's going to be some people that don't have the chance to physically do what you have just done. It doesn't mean that I won't be any less real or present in that space, but they're not going to be able to physically touch me. but I'm still gonna be there and I'm gonna be real and I'm gonna show up. And in the aftermath of what is undeniable, there is no other response but worship. And see right now, today, I wanna see you go from wonder to worship. Because there's so much that I know you're wondering about. And that wonder can consume you and keep you from worship. But I also know the only way you'll ever make that transition is if Jesus shows up. But this is the most important day. Because what you decide about his death will determine what you do with your life. What you decide about his death will determine what you do with your life. And I know that we're in the aftermath of something very difficult. 
And maybe it's sorrow that's standing in the way. Or maybe you're hesitant to hope because it just all seems impossible. Really, what I say or what worship song we play is not going to be what takes you to that place of surrender. An announcement about Jesus, not enough. But an appearance of Jesus will change you right where you are. He's not in the tomb. He's in the room. Your room. Right where you are. No matter the surroundings and no matter how you feel, he is present in the place that you are. And he's waiting. He's waiting for you to trust. He's waiting for you to believe. He's waiting for you to see him for who he really is. The truth is, he's been in a room the whole time. Every room you've ever been in, he's been there. And I know that there's doubt. I know that there's questions. And that's okay. But he's in the room. And he's waiting for you to make room in your heart so that he can step in and watch you declare, my Lord and my God. We celebrate today the most significant event in all of human history. The reality that our Heavenly Father watched us separated from him, dead in our sin, and decided to send a solution in the form of his son, who was dead and buried, but now lives again and is waiting for you to call out. So God, I pray that right now, in homes all over our world, even though people are in the aftermath of what feels final and in the aftermath of what seems impossible, I pray by the end of this day, they will be in the aftermath of what is undeniable, that you are not in the tomb, that you are in the room and you are waiting, calling out to all who would put their hope and trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope that what you experience today inspires you to live and love like Jesus. Stay connected with what's happening at Vintage and grow deeper in your faith by downloading the Vintage Church app. Through this app, you have access to sermon notes, upcoming events, devotionals, additional podcasts, and discover ways to connect in community. You can easily download our app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. We hope you join us again soon.